0: Welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, in the branch librarian at the Oaklaw Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her.
1: Hi, I'm Jordan Goffin. I'm the head curator of collections at the Providence Public Library, uh, and my pronouns are he, him.
2: And I'm Luca Rebacini. I am a social studies teacher at Jenks Middle School in Pawtucket, and uh, he, him.
0: Fantastic. So thank you both for joining me. I've been excited about this episode for weeks uh, because a little bit later in the show, we are going to talk about Rhode Island's history with piracy um, and also a little bit about Rhode Island's history with whaling and and sailing and all things sea-related since we're the ocean state. Um, but before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading?
1: I, I guess I can start first because I finished a book last night at about 9 p.m. So there's always that nice feeling of, yes, I just finished the book. Uh, the book was Mina's uh, Confidence, uh, which is a sequel to Conviction. I'm really kind of a fan, been a fan recently of sort of so-called tartan noir. So um, any sort of crime mystery fiction set specifically in Scotland. And Mina is one of the, the favorites for me, um, And this one was actually slightly different. It was basically, if you sort of liked uh, The Da Vinci Code or something, but wished it was maybe a little bit better than than you thought it was, uh, it's a great book to sort of fill that slot.
0: If you liked The Da Vinci Code, but you wished it was in Scotland. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So what about you, Luca? What have you been reading?
2: Awesome. Uh, Recently, um, just finished a book called Enemy of All Mankind. By Stephen Johnson, it is about the pirate named Henry Avery, sometimes called Henry Avery, but I call him Every. Uh, and this was the pirate that I call the one who got away. No one knows what happened to this guy. Uh, he leads a expedition at the head of six ships in the Red Sea, uh, and turns out that his attack on a grand Mughal ship, which is from India was worth over about five million pounds. He ends up plundering the ship. He gets away and sparks the world's first international manhunt uh, to track him down. It didn't work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) An elusive man of mystery.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) So uh, very different from our two guests' picks, but uh, I just finished a graphic novel called Fine, a comic about gender. Um, which was a really interesting graphic novel um, because it was a graphic novel that put together a lot of interviews that the author had done with people of various genders and various races and backgrounds about their feelings about gender, basically. And interspersed through the whole graphic novel was the author's journey with their gender um, and kind of like explaining like, I didn't know it at the time, but the reason that I like set out to do this project was because I also was questioning my own gender and on my own journey um, to discover that they were non-binary. I really enjoyed it. I think if someone is looking for a little more nuanced conversation about gender beyond like... A lot of the stuff you'll find if you go on the internet and be like, what is gender identity? And people who don't fall within the gender binary or don't really drive with the gender that they were assigned at birth. Um, if you've done all that reading before and you're like, okay, got my first ally gold starred. um, <laughs> but now I'd like a little bit more nuanced conversation about the subject without it being, I think it's still a very approachable. I think partially the graphic format makes it very approachable on top of this kind of interview format of just the author really capturing the vibe of the interviews that they had with, um, with different individuals. Um, so it was really interesting. I recommend it. And yeah, I don't, I'm just still really impressed by taking a series of interviews that they recorded and making it into this really visual graphic thing. I really haven't seen anything like that before. So if anyone listening knows of other graphic novels that like put together a bunch of interviews, downtime at cranstonlibrary.org, please let me know.
1: (laughs) So you're doing interviews now you're podcasting and interviewing, and you're also choosing to read about interviews. I think you've got kind of a, a focus of interest there.
0: Hmm. I didn't really realize that till you just pointed it out. Going into it, I didn't realize that it was going to be this like interview format. In a graphic novel, I just knew like it was a graphic novel about gender. And I think I saw it on a list and was like, "Hmm, interesting, added it to my Goodreads, the normal song and dance. Then once I got into it, I, I thought it was really interesting. So, yeah, maybe that's uh, I didn't realize that connection till you brought it up. So um, if neither of you have anything else book related to talk about, OK, you have something else.
2: Actually, yes. Um, Actually, one completely unrelated, but I still must recommend it um, before I get back to the pirates one. Um, I took a small break um, from reading about pirates and picked up the book called 1453 by Richard Crowley. And that's about the siege of Constantinople and how Constantinople fell. And it's a day by day account of the siege. It tells both sides of Constantine um, on the Christian side and Mehmet II on the Ottoman side and how the siege really unfolded. Um, The lead up to it, the actual events, and the aftermath from it. I really must recommend that book, 1453. But this other one is Black Flags and Blue Waters. And this is by Eric J. Dolan. Uh, This particular book tells about basically America's pirates. It has Ed Lowe, or Ned Lowe, uh, Captain Kidd, Blackbeard, and a few others as well. Plus, it gives a general overview about piracy and just sea life in general, life on board a ship, rations, um, daily life, how the ship was run, um, all in here. Uh, Very, very interesting, especially when you're reading it on the beach, really puts you in the zone. (laughs) But definitely a very good read if you're looking for a general overview on life aboard ship, um, late 1600s, early 1700s.
0: Fantastic. So now we're ready to move on to... What have you been watching?
2: Yes. Uh, one of my favorite things on Netflix at the moment is this new series, well, last year, I believe, called The Lost Pirate Kingdom. It's on Netflix, and it's six episodes long, about an hour apiece, and it walks you through a lot of the big names of the golden age of piracy. Benjamin Hornigold, Henry Jennings, Blackbeard, Charles Vane, Grave, Williams, Sam Bellamy, um, really the big ones down, really focusing on the Caribbean, and the coast of the Americas. It's very very summarized because um Netflix has to make it entertaining and really a lot of action so it really zooms in on the action parts but they really do a good job at bringing these characters to life. And from what I've been reading and what they've been depicting, for the most part it's lining up pretty well.
0: So you're just like all pirates all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh how I got into it in the first place was um last summer I was sitting on the beach uh thinking to myself I need a new book to read. What's cool? Pirates are cool. One book, one book led to another, and here I am.
0: Oh, fantastic. I I haven't watched it yet, but I heard everyone talking about it. Have you watched Our Flag Means Death? I have not. Actually. Okay, Jordan shaking his head, yes.
1: Yeah, and I should say, Taylor, um, you can feel free to edit out the next 45 minutes of me talking about TV because books, yeah, books are fine, but TV. <laughs> This is where I was spending all my time. Uh, yeah, I thought Our Flag Means Death was was a lot of fun. And it was one of those shows that took, I don't know, maybe two or three episodes before I really, uh, it sort of clicked. And I just said, this is all I want to watch. And I didn't even realize the, the last episode when it ended, I was like, all right, I'm ready for the next one. And
0: When you just have that moment where you're like, that's it? That's the whole show? It's yeah. done? Yeah. They're
1: kind of like pros and cons to the current sort of like golden age of television. and. I guess one of the cons is that you don't get 20, 25 episodes a season that you can sort of latch on to. Instead, you get 25 or 30 shows. So, um, yeah, I've got a long list that, uh, that I could probably talk for the rest of our uh, conversation about.
0: Well, what, what's the highlights? What are the real recent, like, standouts?
1: I say recent standouts, my wife and I finished watching Pachinko, Um absolutely recommend. It's on Apple TV, I believe. Uh, And it's sort of a, it's a Korean, mostly Korean language and Japanese language, sort of multi-generational story, um, largely about sort of occupancy of Korea by Japan and people kind of moving between those two countries. And it's sort of set across multiple generations. But just in terms of uh, sort of really gripping narrative, uh, I think, again, takes maybe one or two episodes to kind of get into but it's also one of the most beautiful shows that I think I've watched in a while really fantastic
0: is it an adaptation of the book
1: it is yeah my wife also uh, started reading the book I think they do a lot I think they sort of um play pretty freely with the book and the structure and sort of modify that uh, but it seems like if anyone is interested in the book or enjoyed the book it would not be disappointing um What about you? I mean, sorry, Taylor. I don't
0: know if you're. Um, Yeah. So I talked about previously that I was watching Dollface and I finished the second season of that, which is all there is. And based on the Internet, possibly all there's ever going to be. But I don't know. I feel like every show you look up like, is there going to be a blanks next season? And there's always like frequently asked questions of like is blank canceled is blank coming back so i never know whether things are actually canceled or not or if the internet is just like is this canceled i need to know but um that was a lot of fun and i'm i'm glad that i finished it um and i also finally watched turning red uh which was the newest pixar film It was super cute. Um, I love red pandas. They're my favorite part of the Roger Williams Park Zoo. I'm just like, hey, you little fuzzy boys. So, I mean, the cute factor was there, but it also, um, I really related to Mei Mei and her kind of like need to please her family and attachment to perfectionism. So that was like, you know, as an adult watching it, you have a moment where you're just like, whoa. Uh, But yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I'm still kind of like thinking over uh, my boyfriend all the time says I think too hard about movies or TV, just in general. Um, Like we watched the Adam Project uh, recently. And uh, I kept questioning all the plot holes. I was like, okay, but like, if this happened, then doesn't that mean that this should have happened, which like always happens in time travel, you're like, wait, what? And my boyfriend always responds with Maybe don't think about it that much. And I'm just like, the English major in me cannot not think about it that much. It's a text and I'm reading it. And if I latch on to something in the text that I think is significant, I want to pull that apart. So I'm still kind of like going over, turning red in my mind about like, what, what were they going for of like what the red panda meant? Like, you know, is it supposed to be a metaphor about shame so I don't know if I fully got there or if I'm thinking too hard about a Pixar movie. Maybe I am. It's highly possible, but it was a fun watch either way. And the Adam Project was a fun watch if you like a Ryan Reynolds movie. Ryan Reynolds movies, I feel like recently have really fallen into a niche, and, and this one is right in that niche. So if if you like that niche, it's a fun time.
1: Yeah, this is kind of peak Ryan Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> perhaps that's true.
0: But I feel like he's really latched on to like this, everyone liking the like snarkiness of Deadpool. So now like every movie he's in, that's become like his personality is he's like the snarky guy with all the quips. And I'm just like, which it's it's very funny. Some of the quips are really great quips. But sometimes I'm just like, is this you now? Is this just what you do all the time? But again, it was fun sci-fi time travel stuff. If that's your jam. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Rhode Island Radio Online is the latest offering from Rhode Island Public Libraries. Rhodey Radio is a weekly podcast that brings you voices from your neighbors around the state. Enjoy lectures, stories, and conversations with local artists, performers, experts, and scholars selected for you by Rhode Island librarians. You can find Rhodey Radio at rhodeyradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. When you're listening to Rhodey Radio, you know you're listening to something good. Enjoy the latest movies, music, ebooks, and audiobooks instantly with Hoopla. Cranston Public Library cardholders can borrow up to five instant titles each month with no wait times or holds. You can download the free Hoopla Digital mobile app on your Android or iOS device or visit www.hoopladigital.com to begin enjoying thousands of titles from major Hollywood studios, record companies, and publishers available to borrow for instant streaming or temporary downloading to your smartphone, tablet, and computer. Um, well, I want us to have enough time to talk about piracy, whaling, sailing in Rhode Island. So, like, let's not bury the lead. Luca, was Rhode Island filled with pirates?
2: Uh, yes, way back, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, way back in um, the colonial times. We're talking the 1600s, early 1700s. Rhode Island was pretty much the place, if I remember correctly, where everyone just went to from other places. Um, had the nickname Rogue Island. Um, Cotton Mathers, (laughs) the guy up from Salem in Massachusetts, who was very, very, very religious and one of the head guys in the Salem Witch Trials. Um, He was also condemning a lot of pirates up there. Um, When a bunch of pirates got hung down here, he was very, you know, happy about that. So, um, but pirates. I mean, at least
0: pirates committed a crime.
2: Oh, yes. Um,
0: (laughs) Unlike many innocent women.
2: Yeah. (laughs) But down here in Newport, um it was very, very big for piracy. Narragansett Bay in general, um, William Kidd, one of the most famous pirates, stopped here at Narragansett Bay. He had out for a little bit. And when a ship came up to collect import fees or taxes or went to go question him, uh, he conveniently shot a cannon at them, which made them go away. Uh, then he ended up escaping and he was later hung up in London. But Rhode Island was very, very, very big on piracy. One of the most famous ones from Rhode Island, who I'm going to be talking about in the pirate speech, was the story of Thomas II, T-E-W, Thomas II, who is known as Rhode Island's pirate. And this was a man who went over to the Red Sea and attacked a lot of ships in the late 1600s. Uh, very influential in Rhode Island, took two trips over there and was killed on his second one. A Very, very gruesome death, this guy. Um, catches a cannonball right in the stomach. So not 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 a fun way to go. Also friends with the governor of New York at the time. Um, not not a good move if you're a governor to be friends with a pirate. But
0: <laughs> That sounds like a very Rhode Island thing to do.
2: Well, New York. <laughs> New
0: York yeah, oh, that seems like a very New York thing to do too. <laughs>
2: um, as well as many, many others. There's also pirate hunters from Rhode Island. Actually, um, quite possibly the namesake of this city of Cranston. Um, at the time, way back in the 1600s and 1700s, was Governor Samuel Cranston, 29 term governor of Rhode Island. He was a pirate hunter who was responsible for trying to take down Ned Lowe and Charles Harris. Ned Lowe ends up escaping, um, but Charles Harris gets brought into trial with 26 other pirates, and they're all hung down in Newport. Um, their bodies are still buried, I believe so, on the north end of Goat Island, um, in between the high and low watermarks there. Um,
0: wow,
2: so a bit of Rhode Island piracy history there. So,
0: oh, sorry, no, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was
2: about to say, I know you're supposed to ask
1: the questions, but uh,
0: no, I I love when people want to do some of the lifting for me. <laughs> it's great.
1: I was really curious, uh, Luke, when you said buried between the high and low tide
2: marks. Like, was it done visibly, and was it was that part of the purpose? I believe it had something to do with um, having no peace or having no rest. I I might be mistaken, but um. That's what I found in my research. Interesting.
0: Oh, like if the tide is constantly coming over your grave, it's not restful.
2: I would, I would, I would imagine it would have had something to do with that. It's a <laughs> lot, of, a lot of symbolism. Pirates were very heavy into um, symbolism. Their flags, uh, the black flag, which was a thing, um, also called the Jolly Roger from the French Jolie Rouge or Happy Red. Um, rough translation, but that's what that meant. It was a symbol of um, no quarter asked, no quarter given. Um, black flag meant death. Uh, type of thing, and the different symbols on the flags uh, meant a different thing. An hourglass meant time running out. A knife meant like kind of a bloody death. Um, a lot of a lot of symbolism. Thomas II had a flag which was just um, an arm holding a sword, uh, which is on the label of the Thomas II rum bottles <laughs> here in Rhode Island.
0: So was Rhode Island. So good, good, I'm using quote fingers on good, because I mean, like, it's not piracy is not good, but like good for piracy, just because, you know, it was like on the way to everywhere and we had such good ports, or is there something more?
2: Newport was, um it, it was a pirate hangout, it was a pirate haunt, um, and Narragansett Bay in general was very coveted by both uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut, um, because Narragansett Bay, you got a straight shot down to the Caribbean, and just out in general, over to England, over to Africa, over to South America and the Caribbean, just to get a straight shot from there, not impeded by um, uh, the Cape or um, Long Island in particular, because um, Connecticut's essentially blocked off by Long Island from a direct route. So Narragansett Bay was very, very coveted by both Connecticut and Massachusetts. And when I talk about the um, Pirate Speech, Governor Samuel is actually responsible for helping shape the modern Rhode Island border that we have today because Connecticut and Massachusetts both wanted to take and kind of divvy up Rhode Island. Um, And he said, uh, yeah, no. And uh, that was that. So we ended up keeping the colony and the borders intact because of uh, Samuel Granson. But yes, piracy was a very um, big thing. It was um, very centralized, more down in the Newport area and Narragansett Bay in general.
0: Um, so, Jordan, and I also want us to touch on your work. So, um, can you talk a little bit about uh, PPL's collection about um, whaling history and sailing history in Rhode Island?
1: Sure. Absolutely. I should say first, Rhode Island is part of the collection, but it's, I, I just did a quick search. It's about a tenth in terms of the, the long books we have. So, um, Rhode Island was involved in the, the sort of whaling industry, but never one of the really big players. Kentucket and New Bedford were kind of the two main centers. Um, Yeah, this collection is called the Nicholson Collection. If anybody has been in Providence to the Nicholson file warehouse buildings, the files were apparently a big enough deal that you could make a lot of money manufacturing those. Um, And so the Nicholson family wealth, uh, one of the members of the family, Paul Nicholson, decided to start collecting, he said, Something nautical and depending, fortunately or unfortunately, he didn't say pirates. Uh, but pirates are obviously, you know, very exciting. Uh, he ended up deciding on whaling and then he decided on logbooks, which are the kind of records of a voyage, like a journal of the voyage. Um, and he collected at the time that his collection was bequeathed to the library. It represented about, I think, about a quarter of the, the known extant whaling logbooks. You know, whaling eventually gets displaced by uh, sort of the discovery of petroleum and, you know, you think about how important and what a large industry oil is and has been for a long time. Like this is essentially the predecessor to that. So it was one of the big American industries uh, and American whalers were the the major presence in that. Um, so this collection, like I say, extensive collection of these logbooks uh, that sort of document a voyage and tell you what was happening. They have proven to be exciting and kind of it's multifaceted. They've they've ended up, um, in the time that I've been here, seeing a lot of different kinds of use from sort of science and uh, sort of climate data to totally artistic interpretation on the other side. I have no idea if that is the introduction you're looking for. I'm happy to talk about any other part of it. Yeah,
0: of no, the- that's fantastic. It just makes me think of to like hop back over to Luca. I don't know if you know anything about this, but... Did pirates keep logs? Because I'd be like, obviously you want to keep things secret, but like, we like, where do we get this information about the activity that pirates were doing?
2: Logbooks, I'm not too sure, uh, but I do know that a lot of what we know from pirates are from trials and testimonies after, either by people who got attacked or crewmen themselves. For example, some of Henry Every's crew testified against him. Another way that we would get information from uh, the pirates in general is. Um, The stories passed down, um, spread around different ports. You would just hear about that and it would just kind of stick and move forward. Um, the Boston newsletter, which was at one of the times way back in the colonial days, the only paper in, um, colonial America, that was the main source of information stuff would be recorded there. Um, Sam Bellamy, um, I believe was noted in that for taking a whole bunch of ships. Um, there's also the, um, Just a lot of stories just passed around.
0: So the newspapers included like stories about like attacks or things like that.
2: Yes. um, Also, um, Navy ship records like the Royal Navy um, of England, they would keep records on um, attacks on ships and things of the sort. And if I can venture into
1: pirate territory for just a brief second. Sure. i was going to say that it's sort of in addition to those like piracy. We think of it as sort of sensational now and it was sensational. Like, even in the 1600s, there are books published that are designed to sort of, um, I don't know, get at the sort of excitement and danger and like, ah, pirates, they're out there. Um, So it's not just sort of a modern thing. The books in the 1600s were kind of doing the same thing.
2: Oh, yes. And um, pirates were around for thousands of years. Uh, Julius Caesar himself was actually captured by pirates um, as a young man. Um, He got held for ransom and he was insulted by how low the ransom was. So he raised the ransom on his own head, uh, much to the dismay of his friends who ended up paying it. But he ends up going back and crucifying all the pirates who captured him. So mm, kind of, kind of a happy ending. Um, but there's um, another way that the word would be spread about pirates. And that was through a broadsheet. Um It was a very, very musical time and it was a lot of stuff read in rhyme or spoken out. So you'd be outside of a tavern or in a tavern and You'd be having um, someone stand outside and either sing or shout or somehow announce from these broadsheets. They were printed on big broadsheets of paper, broadsheets. Uh, One of the most famous ones was from 1694, and that was Henry Every's broadsheet. And it was pretty much announcing and bragging and telling stories of piracy. And some of the first lines of that one is, come all you brave boys whose courage is bold. Come venture with me. I'll glut you with gold. And it'll just go on and on and on describing the ship, the adventures, the attacks, um, what it's like, how glorious and wonderful it is. Um, it was really, really embellished, but it was more of like kind of an advertising, a challenge, a dare, in a way, and also a way of entertainment.
0: So it was meant to, like, entice people to want to join these crews and become pirates, or just, like,
2: made that, it sound exciting? It, both. Um, okay. Another <laughs> another story of which is um, Sam Bellamy's crew. Um, on San Bellamy's crew, he stops at a port and a young boy, about 10, 11 years old, I believe so, but a young boy, uh, John King, comes up and he really, 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 really hears these stories and he's super excited and he wants to join San Bellamy's crew. Um, and this man, uh, actually, San Bellamy, he died in a storm off the coast of New England uh, at the age of 28. But John King um, was a young boy. Uh, he joined San Bellamy's crew and his mother says no, but he demands and begs and kicks and screams and Sam Bellamy just looks at him and just goes, well, guess you're coming with us. And he ends up joining the crew and he was one of the youngest pirates on record. Um, so it could really range in age, in different um, walks of life too. You have pirates like Steve Bonnet, uh, the gentleman pirate, who does the one thing that you never do as a pirate, which is um, purchase your ship. And <laughs> so... <laughs> as a pirate you steal the ship so <laughs> you have stories like that as well um and it's not only just men you have um mary reed you have um and bonnie two most famous female pirates
0: We had lady pirates i'm glad <laughs> <laughs> So uh, to hop back to the collection at PPL a little bit, I also saw on the website about these scrimshaw's. Am I saying that right?
1: Yeah, scrimshaw essentially kind of uses a blanket term for Honestly, I would say anything that people do when they're bored on a whaling ship. (laughs) Um, So oftentimes it's like a sperm whale tooth or something that'll be etched and um, pigment will be applied. And so sort of decorative things like that Um, or corset busks, the sort of little things that slide into a corset that have been decorated with poetry or things like that. Uh, Essentially, making a whale ship, making a vessel get from one place to another and, and find the whales takes very few people. And then chasing down the whale and killing it and processing it takes a lot of people. So you have to have all those people on the vessel. But most of the time, especially if a cruise is not that successful, they've got not all that much to do. Um, so it really is a product of boor- of boredom. Some of them are terrific. Like they're they're just real sort of folk art. You can see the sort of unprofessionalness of them. Others are, are really sort of... Um, examples of careful art and seem to be practiced by people who really knew what they're doing. Um, sometimes I really like the former a lot more because you can be pretty sure that it's not something that someone did with the intention of you know, selling because these things did bring the point where people wanted to go out and buy them. Um, but in, in most cases, especially for those really sort of rough ones, it's clear that it was a gift for someone back home. Yeah, they're, they're definitely worth stopping in to take a look at.
0: I saw the pictures on your site of some of them and they, yeah, they looked really cool. So I thought that was really interesting. We'll include a link in the show notes for people to take a look at the pictures online.
1: It's a little bit late at this point, but I just realized it would have made a great sort of COVID lockdown project. And I'm, I'm really kicking myself. <laughs> spending my, my uh, COVID period uh, not as well as I could have. I could have been doing script show.
0: That's okay. We were all experiencing collective trauma. So if you weren't the most productive person, it's okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, I guess, is there anything else that either of you really want our listeners to know about your collection, about piracy in Rhode Island, about anything that we talked about?
2: about piracy, um, a lot of it is romanticized. A lot of it is really sensationalized. A lot of it is like, wow, cool pirates. Uh, In reality, it was a very tough life. You were a hunter, but you were also hunted. Uh, A pirate's lifespan was very, very short, ranging a couple of years, two, three, four max back in the 1600s, 1700s. Even though communication wasn't that fast, words still did get around. Uh, But when it comes to Piracy, if you would like to know more. Um, there's a pirate presentation that I'm doing here at the Cranston Library on May 24th. That's a Tuesday at 6:30. So hope to see you there.
0: Yeah. And we will we will also include information on how to register for that event if you are local and would like to attend down in the show notes. So, Jordan, what what is your like closing thoughts?
1: Closing (laughs) argument for whales.
0: (laughs) For whales, yeah.
1: I would say, first I would say, like, this is an open invitation to anybody who's listening. You know, we're a public library. We really like it when people come in for no particular reason to see our materials. So you do not need to feel like, oh, I'll wait until I'm doing a research project or something like that. Uh, if you have a lunch break and it's during our open hours and, you know, you just want to stop in and see Scrimshaw or Logbooks or whatever it is, we really enjoy we enjoy that don't tell the researchers, the serious researchers, but we actually enjoy that more than we do uh, when they come in. So please do stop by. Um, Second, I just wanted to mention a project that is underway right now that is sort of a partnership with us and UMass Dartmouth and um, the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. And essentially what they're doing is going back and hiring Rhode Island students, college students, to extract data from these logbooks, giving a latitude and longitude and wind conditions, and temperature, whatever is available weather-wise. And it's being the people at um, Woods Hole, are they going to take that data and analyze it, and essentially sort of recreate historical climate. One of the things about logbooks and uh, whaling generally is whalers went to places that a lot of traditional routes didn't, that's probably the same with pirates, I imagine. Um, and the fact that they did that means it's this whole wealth of data that is out there that can allow us to understand climate change better. And for us, it's, there's, something, there's something very pleasant about seeing the artifacts from an industry that was extractive and brutal and destructive to the environment and just in a lot of ways all around horrible, um, seeing those artifacts actually puts a, a much better use. So stay tuned.
0: Also, I just love the the kind of synergy there with like, you think of historical documents and you think a lot of humanities work, but to have that kind of like help and inform yeah. science and STEM work is,
1: is really cool. Yeah, we're excited about that project.
0: Maybe you and some other people involved can come back and talk about it when it's done. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> um, so we like to wrap up the show with a segment I call the last chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish related question. Um, so I thought I would ask you both today, where is your favorite place to read or enjoy media? Ooh. <laughs> I love an ooh. I love That's when good. people are like, ooh, when I ask the question, because I'm like, yeah, I got him. It's a good one.
2: That is a good question. <laughs> that is a really good question. Um, I would say situation pending. Um, so if I really need to deep think and focus, really get in the zone somewhere quiet, somewhere calm, somewhere easy, somewhere dark ish. Um, if it's something super exciting, just, you know, I like to be in the theme of things. So for example, as I mentioned before, how I got into reading about pirates in general, I was sitting on the beach and I go, what's cool. Pirates are cool. (laughs) And just spent the summer just, reading pirate books on the beach. Uh, so really get in the zone that way type of thing. But for me, I'll be nice and relaxed in a nice chair or on the hammock out back uh, and just enjoy that way.
1: I would say for, for me, the the honest and boring answer would be my my couch, like if we're talking 95% of, of this. Uh, maybe the more optimistic, uh, interesting answer, I really love gotten in the habit a couple times recently of biking from my house to roger williams park and there's like the big field next to the um what is it called the temple of music the hall yeah
0: the, the temple. Temple, temple of music, music.
1: I, temple of music uh, yeah and I, <laughs> I bought a little tiny folding compact chair there's something really pleasant about setting up a little chair Um, There's something pleasant in theory about setting up a chair there and reading. In reality, uh, the one time, one or two times I've tried it so far, uh, I think I ended up with a lot of bug bites. So we're going to go back to my couch for most of the time. But yeah,
0: It's funny that you say about going to a park because yesterday I decided kind of like the cherry on top of my vacation week would be to drive to Goddard Park, which is near where I live. Um, and sit down and read. Overall, it was a good experience, though. I didn't get that many bug bites. I brought a towel. I think I would bring a cushion next time uh, because the chair, the chair, the ground was kind of hard. Um, But other than that, I was like, I should do this more often. I don't know why I don't, because it is really lovely to read outside uh, and enjoy the nice weather when we have it, which is not a lot. (laughs) But yeah, so um, again, information about Luca's talk at Central will be in the show notes. So please check it out. If you'd like to tell us where your favorite place to read is, you can reach out to us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And you can now reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Nomi Hay, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime.
1: how long you have to wait. It's
0: <laughs> The less time you wait, the more material Dave has for the blooper at the end.
1: Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, I like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he loves a good blooper. He loves to beep things. That's what I forgot.
1: <laughs> ah.